Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Aaron Sorkin's new film, Molly's Game. The film tells the true story of Molly Bloom, an Olympic-class skier who ran the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game for a decade for such players as Hollywood royalty, sports stars, business titans, and finally, unbeknownst to her, the Russian mob. After being arrested in the middle of the night by 17 FBI agents wielding automatic weapons, Molly's only ally was her criminal defense lawyer, Charlie Jaffe, who learned that there was much more to Molly than the tabloids led us to believe. Molly's Game is Mr. Sorkin's feature directorial debut. He earned an Academy Award for Best Writing Adapted Screenplay for penning the 2010 film The Social Network, and was nominated for the same award alongside Steven Zalian and Stan Shervin for the 2011 screenplay Moneyball. He is also a six-time Primetime Emmy Award winner for his television series The West Wing. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Sorkin spoke with director John Gattins about filming Molly's Game. During their conversation, Mr. Sorkin discusses his first meeting with the real-life Molly Bloom, having virtual rehearsals with stars Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba, and why he finally decided to direct a film after a career as a writer. Good evening. Uh, Aaron, you and I have a lot in common. You've won five Emmys, two Golden Globes, and you won the Academy Award for your brilliant screenplay for the movie The Social Network. And I I paid $14 to see The Social Network at the Sherman Oaks Uh Galleria, so (laughs) we're basically brothers. Um, How did you find Molly's Game, or how did Molly's Game find you? Uh, An entertainment lawyer I know socially, just a little bit, said, would you read this book and then meet with my client, the, the author of the book, uh, Molly Bloom. And I said, sure. And I was doing it as a courtesy. I, I read the book. Uh, the book is a wild ride. Uh, I would recommend it. Um, but then when I met to, went to meet Molly, uh, two things happened. That first meeting was just an hour long. It would be followed by a couple of hundred other meetings with her. But uh, uh, I discovered two things at that meeting. The first was that the book just tells, the, is the very tip of the iceberg. Uh, tells a little bit uh, of the story for a couple of reasons. First of all, as is dramatized in the movie, when Molly wrote the book, uh, she hadn't yet been arrested. So in the book, there are no Russian mobsters. Uh, the FBI isn't after her. Uh, the book ends essentially where the, the whole flashback uh, sequence, sequence ends. Uh, which is her game. She, she gets a text that the FBI has raided her game a few blocks away. She grabs some stuff, gets in a cab, uh, uh, hightails it out of town, discovers, you know, checks her bank account balance, discovers that uh, the Justice Department has taken all her money, and that's the end of the book. Uh, but there were a lot of other things that weren't in the book. For instance, her relationship with her father. 
and many other things. But the other thing that I discovered uh, in meeting Molly was that she was not at all who I expected her to be. And probably the best way to explain this is to tell you that the one fictional element uh, of the film is Charlie, her lawyer, Idris's character. Uh, Molly, of course, did have a criminal defense lawyer who she regards as a thoroughly decent guy who, who really helped her. She really has a lot of respect for him. But I needed that character for my own purposes. So I've never met the real lawyer or spoken to the real lawyer. I wanted someone who could dramatize the journey that I took with Molly, which is to say, um, I, I thought the woman that I was gonna meet uh, was just kind of cashing in on her decade-long brush with celebrity. Uh, that is not who uh, she is. I, 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 the woman I met was brilliant, built out of integrity. Uh, she's got a really sly uh, uh, sense of humor, which can sometimes be goofy. She's hyper-competent. Um, and far from spilling the secrets of the bold-faced names uh, in, in her games, she kept those secrets at a great cost to herself. I met what I found, and, and that, like I said, the first meeting was only an hour, so I barely knew anything yet. But I went away from that meeting feeling like there is a real-life movie heroine here found in a very unlikely place. And somehow I knew, leaving that first meeting, that this, I'm going to write this movie. I'm going to write it now. Whatever, the, the thing that I was supposed to be writing, I was going to put aside, and I was going to write this now. It's, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I think that Social Network, Steve Jobs, Moneyball, and now Molly's Game, they're, they're cousins in a way that they're kind of pursuits of the American dream that are a little bit broken, you know, and you didn't really lean into, you know, the book had a lot of like really interesting celebrity kind of, you know, money angles to it, but you really told Molly's story, not the story of Molly's Game. That's right. I was more interested in, I was less interested in the book than I was in the author uh, of the book. Right. And so what started forming in my head uh, was this idea of telling two stories uh, at, at once. Uh, uh, that, uh, that one story was going to be the story told in the book, uh, uh, how this woman who had a gold-plated future that, uh, uh, that she'd already planned out, right? She was going to go to Harvard Law School with an Olympic medal around her neck. Uh, she was going to start a foundation that would seed entrepreneurial women. How did she go from that to... Uh, be, being the biggest game runner in the world, running the biggest uh, underground high-stakes uh, poker game in the world, and that the other story would be the one that's not in the book, uh, which is what happens from the moment she's arrested by the FBI, has 48 hours to get to the other side of the country, hire a lawyer, be arraigned, uh, all while discovering that, she, that these people um, uh, that she knew were actually members of the Russian mafia, um, uh, that there had been an informant uh, in her game, this whole thing that, that she had no idea about, and that she had to go about staying out of jail. Um, and uh, I also knew that there'd be two different looks to those uh, different stories, that the present day story, uh, we would, I didn't know this while I was writing it so much. Um, uh, it, it's Well, I guess I did. I was going to say I, I didn't start thinking about it until after I was asked to direct it, but I think I knew this while I was writing it, that the present day story uh, would be shot fairly conventionally, not boringly, but, but, uh, but literally. 
and that the story in the past, uh, we were never going to see, you know, we, we were never going to dramatize a, a full hand of poker or care who won or lost uh, a hand of poker, that this wasn't going to be a poker movie in that sense. There's one scene where we dramatize a full hand of poker, but it's simply for the purpose of demonstrating how one goes on full tilt, uh, uh, how you go a little crazy, even if you're Harlan Eustace, Bill Camp, um, uh, the, the best player in the room. And I, I conceived it, the, the, the story that we were telling in the past, like a TED Talk, like the best TED Talk uh, you've ever been to, that Molly hasn't been invited to give a TED Talk, and that this story was not going to be told by the filmmakers. It was going to be told by Molly, and then she's got a string, screen behind her, and she can demonstrate stuff, look right there, uh, uh, you know, see how, what he did with that ace, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I've, I've lost sight of your question. I went, <laughs> I went on a little walkabout, okay. as I tend to do. Let's move on. Uh, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of questions. There's a reason my scripts are 180 pages long. <laughs> that was one question. Uh -huh. Okay, we got that out of the way. <laughs> Did you write the script linear and then break up the chronology to be able to go back and tell her kind of... No, I wrote the script... As is. The, uh, the way it is now. I mean, the only difference between the first draft and the shooting script was I cut about 15 pages. Interesting. Um, did hey, you the first draft was 201 pages. Is there In my defense, uh, okay, dialogue, I've read a lot of dialogue. Uh, uh, dialogue takes up more room on the page and less time on the screen than action, which takes up less room on the page and more time on the screen. <laughs> Spoken like a writer. That, I appreciate that. Uh, is there, did you do any rewriting of your script in the edit room? Like, uh, did you move sequences you didn't think you would? from the original blueprint? No, but uh, our editors, Alan Baumgarten, Elliot Graham, Josh Schaefer, and our cinematographer, Charlotta Christensen, uh, they are co-authors uh, of this movie. Uh, they were all working with a first-time director, uh, and uh, uh, so Charlotta was not only uh, you know, brilliant with her lighting uh, and her camera work, but she was very forgiving of somebody who didn't know anything. You know, we would uh, huddle, um, uh, and you know, she'd say, I, "I think we should shoot this with a 60," and I'd say, "You know, 60, 61, whatever it takes. <laughs> uh, let's do it." Uh, and, uh, but in the editing room. Uh, Nothing's better than when you go into the editing room in the morning uh, and uh, uh, the editor says, listen, I tried something crazy. You may not like it, but let me show it to you. And sometimes it is crazy, but sometimes it elevates uh, the whole thing. And as I said, they, they, all four of them are co-authors of the movie. Did the actors stick to the script? Yes. Because I've heard you're particular about that. Listen, it's... <laughs> <laughs> It's not that I'm precious uh, about the words. It's, it's really not. Um, uh, I guess I'm a little precious about the words, but uh, it's that I, it, I have a lot of respect for uh, writers and for directors uh, who are able to create the space in a scene, create the space uh, in their movies for great improvisers 
to improvise. Whether that's Judd Apatow or Paul Greengrass, uh, uh, they're, they're both great at kind of Jackson Pollocking uh, uh, the, the whole thing, uh, and, and, and to great effect. I, I do the opposite. I, I like things that sound like they were written. Um, and, and I know that's counterintuitive, that uh, uh, that, that sounds like it's going to be bad if, if it sounds like it's written. But I grew up, I grew up uh, in, in New York, and my parents took me to the theater all the time, starting from a very young age. Oftentimes, they took me to see plays that I was too young to understand, like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf when I was nine years old? <laughs> and I didn't understand. I would not understand what was going on up there, except I loved the sound of dialogue. Uh, I loved the sound of these words crashing into each other and these tremendous actors and actresses uh, uh, playing what sounded to me like music, and I wanted to imitate that sound. Uh, uh, so I write pretty deliberately uh, in that regard. There's not a lot of room for, you know, hey mans and yes uh, uh, in there. And the actors know when they have dropped a syllable or inverted something, they'll go to the script supervisor and say that wasn't right. Uh, uh, tell me what it is. Jessica and, and Idris. Now Jessica, you know, obviously has the, um, she, she straps this movie on her back in the very first scene runs a full-out sprint for two hours and 12 minutes, does not let the movie down until the end credits roll. But she has these scenes uh, with Idris, seven, eight, nine-page scenes, uh, which were shot back to back to back to back to back. So it wasn't like there was an easy day where they could learn the next day's stuff. Uh, and uh, I started what I called virtual rehearsal with them maybe six weeks before uh, photography started, where they were in different places in the world, and Idris, when he's not making movies, he's jumping out of airplanes and setting land speed records in Scotland and kickboxing and things like that. And that, that's what he was doing. Uh, but we would, every night we would Skype, talk on the phone, uh, we would email, and I would talk them through this, these scenes beat by beat, transition by transition. Uh, and, but the big thing I would remind them of is that you can't just learn the lines, okay? You've gotta take ownership of this, you have to be able to casualize this language, or it's going to become operatic. Uh, you, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna like your performance. Uh, it needs to be like you're just tossing off your phone number. And if Idris and Jessica hadn't come to the set as fully prepared uh, as they did, uh, the, those scenes would be falling off the screen. It's interesting because in the second I watched the movie a second time today, and those scenes in particular in Charlie's office. I kind of marveled at because you rack focus to like hand point of view between them as they volley back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I thought that must have been you and Charlotta must have really kind of sat and diagrammed that out. Yeah, we did. Once she explained to me what rack focus meant. Um, <laughs> that one I actually knew. I, I've listen, I've I, I've uh, in terms of production, I've uh, uh, for every movie I've written, I've been on the set. Uh, every day of production in television as the showrunner, obviously you're you're very involved with production. But in the 25 years that I've been a professional writer, I really managed to absorb none of the science of filmmaking. <laughs> I, I I don't know how I did it. So, so I went to school, uh, and Charlotta was the professor and the dean, um, uh, and uh, it 
it turned out that, you know, everything that I was scared of, uh, she would just, you know, she had a handheld thing. I'm sure there's a name for it. Uh, uh, and she would snap a lens on uh, and hand it to me, and I'd look at uh, what we were doing, and if I liked it, then that lens went on the camera. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I got to look at it uh, with the monitor, uh, at the monitor. Um, but, yes, uh, Charlotta and I talked through every scene to within an inch of its life. I, I didn't want to, I really wanted to minimize the number of decisions that were made while we were right there on the set. I wanted everybody knowing exactly what they were supposed to be doing every minute. So of course we had shot lists uh, and of course we would go through a uh, look of things and pretty much every day uh, I started calling Charlotta at a shot lotta because um, uh, almost every day we'd go through the shot list and she'd say, listen, just in case you need it, uh, uh, let, let's get this. Just you may want it in the editing room. And uh, I'd say, really, I've, I've come to that fork in the road. I've decided I'm going left and not right, so we don't need uh, uh, to do that shot. And uh, after a while, I just learned all I'm doing is postponing the inevitable. She's going to win this argument. She wins every argument. Let's just do it. So uh, uh, we we did have uh, we had uh, quite a few shots to select from in the editing. Room. Were some of those takes like ten minutes long? Yeah, all of the Idris uh, uh, Jessica, Jessica takes were, were ten minutes long. Um, uh, we did them all from. Uh, from top to bottom. There were hardly any pickup shots. The other end of the spectrum would be, say, the poker scenes, uh, where, uh, as I said, this wasn't a poker movie. There is no scene in which we're uh, on the edge of our seat wondering who's going to win this hand. It's all about Molly. Uh, I I'm not a poker player. Uh, we were talking about this uh, uh, out in the lobby. Um, but I'm a sports fan, so my TV is tuned to ESPN uh, a lot. And sometimes at 2 in the morning, when there's absolutely no other sporting event happening in the world, <laughs> ESPN will broadcast poker. It's the world's worst spectator sport, okay? Uh, it's not nice to look at uh, uh, at all. Uh, so uh, that was fine with me. I knew that what we were going to do with the poker scenes was get shards uh, of poker, just a, hundreds of micro shots of chips and cards and decks being open and ice going into glasses and cash and raising and folding and going all in and winning and losing, all, all of that. So uh, that was three or four days uh, on the schedule of, um, of setting up you know, little miniature shots, but each of those days, would end with uh, 30 minutes of free swim. The extras in those scenes are all professional poker players, uh, just because there's a way that those people handle cards, handle chips, that's different from the way uh, uh, you and I do. And it's just, it can't be taught. It, 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 you have to just have been holding cards every night for years and years and years. Uh, so I let these guys, I just wanted them to, we put tracks around uh, the poker table, had two cameras uh, going, uh, and I uh, had them play poker. Uh, I, um, I, 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 I wrote out a check and 
pinned it to the wall. Whoever has the most chips at the end of 30 minutes uh, uh, goes home with that check. Just because I thought they'd need incentive to, uh, you know, to really play hard. And also they were mic'd. The, 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 you know, they were boomed. <clears throat> because I wanted to get uh, any patois, any kind of language uh, uh, that they had. So there's an example of unscripted yeah, stuff, unscripted uh, stuff. Uh, now that I think about You're it. You're sounding more and more like a director all the time. Yeah. Um, Careful. In fact, I would say, uh, except for those 180 very tightly scripted pages, <laughs> that I let the actors explore. Uh, okay, I let them explore the space, explore language. I'm not a stickler for the words, except for those 180 pages in which no deviation was allowed. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, so we also got shots from, uh, uh, from, from that free swim. How long was the first assembly of the movie? Oh, it was uh, it, not as long as I feared. The, uh, it, it, uh, and a friend of mine referred to the, refers to first assemblies as the suicide cut. Um, because you do look at it and say, God, did I do anything right? Uh, but but then it, the, the things start to clear up for you, and it, and it turns out you did. The first assembly uh, was, uh, I, I think, 235. You know, it, it, it wasn't bad. And, and the first assembly uh, uh, was, I, I, I could tell already, it was fat. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, without cutting scenes, lines, anything like that, uh, I could just take a vacuum and take uh, uh, five or 10 minutes out of it. The movie, by the way, it, it's listed at 225. It's 212. It's the end credits that make it 225. <laughs> and I just don't think I should be charged for that. I'm I am all for everybody receiving the credit that they do. And I, and by the way, I mean that we we in addition to the four people that I mentioned, our first AD, our line producer, our UPM, the second ADs, the whole crew, I won the lottery. Uh, uh, somehow. It, this was just a great, very, very talented crew, very hardworking crew. There was a great spirit on the set. I'm, I'm big on morale. Uh, and because sometimes that's all I can do is uh, uh, put out potato chips. Um, well, if you're nailing checks to the wall, that's... That, that's, <laughs> that's not a bad set to be on. It wasn't. But, you know, the, the actors who would come into these poker scenes, Michael Sarah, Jeremy Strong, Bill Camp, uh, uh, Chris O'Dowd, would always get... It, it wasn't hard to sucker them into playing. They wanted to play uh, with the pros. And as a result, the extras were the highest paid actors on the set. The actors went home, like, without their clothes. <laughs> um, uh, everybody lost to the extras. Is there a, a scene or sequence that got cut from the movie that kind of haunts you? Is there something you had to let go of that you felt, ugh? Isn't it funny that uh, there, there is, and now I can't remember what it was. I, I, I remember going... Uh, I, I hate losing that, but it we we do need to get the it it it, it wasn't that I was looking at the clock uh, like this movie has to be a certain time. I was contractually obligated to deliver a two hour and fifteen minute 
uh, uh, cut. But I, 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 I wasn't looking at the clock. It was just starting to, at one point, feel a little bit long. So something was cut. And of course, at the time, I felt, well, there goes the, the whole movie and, and my life. And now I honestly can't remember uh, uh, what it was. But not much. Uh, uh, not much was cut. Um, did you and Charlotta watch movies like in like research or reference for look or feel or? Charlotta's from Denmark, so we didn't get much time uh, uh, together. She had uh, I, I I was interested in her for the following reasons. Uh, Girl on the Train, I thought looked fantastic. I thought Fences looked fantastic. Plus, she was working with first-time director Denzel Washington uh, on Fences, so uh, I, I, I thought, okay, she'll, she's been through this once, this, this babysitting operation uh, uh, once, she'll be able to do it again. And then the other reason was she just came very highly recommended by, uh, by people I respect. Uh, so while we uh, didn't have a chance to watch movies together, we would talk about uh, uh, certain movies, uh, uh, certain styles, uh, and uh, as I said, uh, uh, and there were some things, we, we storyboarded uh, the whole opening sequence because I also, there's more action in the first eight minutes of this movie than in every movie I've written combined. Uh, my first movie was an adaptation of my first play, A Few Good Men, and there's a scene in A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise is, is driving through DC in his car and he pulls over to a newsstand, hops out, gets the most recent issue of Sports Illustrated, gets back in his car, drives away, and until now, that was my big action scene. <laughs> um, now, suddenly, skiers are flying past, and I, 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 I wanted the, uh, there was, and, and crashing, um, uh, there was a particular way I wanted the skiing to look. I did not want it to look like the Olympics uh, on NBC. I wanted it to be, to look dangerous, gray, foreboding, windy, snow uh, uh, coming in uh, at an angle. Uh, I wanted it to be the, the, the first line of description in the script is this looks like a terrible way to die. Um, I, and, uh, and I wanted it to be like that. So we, uh, uh, we storyboarded everything. We, again, with the help of a fantastic AD, line producer, UPM, uh, uh, that whole package, uh, and with the help of uh, the stunt coordinator and the skiing stunt coordinator specialist, figured out exactly how we were gonna pull this off. Uh, uh, and it worked. Last question. I read that, I think it was a professor at Syracuse said to you, last piece of advice is you're leaving, basically, or maybe he'd said it to you all along. Dare to fail, was that what he kind of was his? Yeah, um, and I think it's really good advice. And uh, I, and this is, it, it was she, um, uh, uh, Geraldine Clark, who who is still teaching there. Uh, and this is why she said it to me. Um, she said it to me four years too late. I wish she had said it to me at the beginning of my freshman year instead of the end of my senior year. Uh, but uh, when I was. I'm envious of, uh, of my friends who got their master's in playwriting uh, from Yale or from Iowa uh, or from anywhere, who got an MFA uh, in playwriting. And, and I'm always asking them, what was your curriculum? Tell me what you learned, because I'm sure 
that there are gaps in, uh, in my knowledge that I'm sure this would have helped. Uh, I have a BFA in musical theater. My parents are incredibly proud. <laughs> um, uh, and what one friend told me who went to Yale, uh, uh, Yale playwriting, was uh, uh, that her MFA program was pretty much like my BFA program, and that the best part uh, about getting a master's in playwriting is that it gives you a chance to write the worst plays you're ever going to write. Um, and uh, back at Syracuse, w when I was a student there, I, I never took risks. I, I stayed very much in my narrow lane. I was trying to impress my teachers. I was trying to impress my friends. I'm sure I was in try trying to impress girls. Uh, and I stayed in this narrow lane and never took uh, any risks. And now, here I am, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to take risks because uh, I, when, when I fall down, uh, yeah, my report card is, is made public, and this is also how I earn a living. Um, so, uh, and, and I'm scared to death of failing. But uh, in, the, in the arts especially, uh, daring to fail is uh, is very important. I, I I think it's the only way you're going to be you're going to do the best work you can do uh, is if you are willing to fail. And uh, and I know this is the last question, so uh, so I'll wrap it up. The 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 hardest thing for me to get my arms around when I made the decision to direct the movie uh, was. Uh, Boy, there's a huge opportunity for failure here, uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, um, it, and I just swallowed hard um, uh, and said, uh, d d "That's what it's supposed to be. Um, uh, uh, you're supposed to dare to fail, and if you don't, y you might just be proud of it." I couldn't be more proud of what we did together. It's truly, it's a triumph uh, of collaboration. I love working with great directors, uh, and I want to continue working with great directors, but I had a wonderful time doing this, and I'd like to do it again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Thanks a lot. Man. Great. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget, you can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We have many more great discussions for you coming up soon, including Rob Reiner's LBJ, Stephen Shabosky's Wonder, and Joe Wright's Darkest Hour. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.